Today on CityCast Denver. From a joke food festival to a newspaper's worst nightmare, me, Bree, and Peyton are looking back on the week that was. Today is Friday, October 8th, 2021. I'm Alexandra McMahon, and this is CityCast Denver. It's Friday. Welcome back to Friday. Uh, I'm Alexandra McMahon. I'm a producer here on CityCast. And this week, I've got host Bree Davies with me. Hi. And newsletter writer Peyton Garcia. Hey, guys. And we're going to be talking about a few different things that happened over the course of the week. Um, but to kick us off, what are what are all of your weekend plans? What, what have you got going on? We have a three-day weekend, you guys. We do. I guess that's a it's a good point to mention that we won't be having a show on Monday for Indigenous Peoples Day. Yeah. So don't expect a show on your feet on Monday. Usually work on Sundays, and we won't be. Yeah. So so what are you going to do with your long weekend, (laughs) Bree? Hello, I'm a mom, and I will be going to the grocery store, cleaning my house. And actually, I'll be going to a friend's uh, five-year-old's birthday party on Sunday, which I'm really, I was excited to find out that I could actually go. So happy early birthday, Leia. I love that. I love that. Peyton, what about you? I've got lots of plans. So tonight, I am doing a chili cook-off slash baby shower for one of Willie's colleagues. Um, (laughs) What a combo. (laughs) I know. He was like... I don't know how much chili Lisa's going to eat because she's nine months pregnant. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, and it, it might be her thing that she loves to eat and she might be all over it. You never know. Yeah. So we're doing a chili cook-off baby shower um, tonight. And then tomorrow night, well, tomorrow during the day, I'm going to Meow Wolf um, for the first time. So Ooh. I can't wait excited. to hear what you think about it now that you've yeah. had to like listen to us talk about it. For and weeks. after hearing the Professor Fun episode. Um, of CityCast Denver from earlier this week. I'm very excited to go. And then um, that evening, I'm having a Settlers of Catan night with my neighbors. <laughs> oh, man. Peyton loves yeah. board games. That's like the king of all board games, I feel like. It is. Settlers is a serious <laughs> board game. Serious man's board game. So we're doing that. And then Sunday, we're like, I was like, oh, my gosh, what should we do? Like, this will be the first Broncos game of the season I can watch. Like, should we do something fun? Um but we just got a brand new couch. So I was like, maybe we just like lay on our brand new couch all day. That sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds awesome. What a great yeah. weekend. Yeah. Can I, I trade with you? That sounds I'm very really good. excited. What are you doing, Alexandra? <laughs> oh, I'm maybe going to go costume shopping for Halloween. There's a costume shop in Lakewood that we absolutely adore called Disguises. I was going to say, are you going to Disguises? Yes. We love Disguises. It's off of West Colfax. Um, so we're probably going to go take a trip out there, look at some costumes and, uh, yeah, I don't know. We're just going to hang out. We were out of town last weekend, so we just need like a weekend to just chill. Do you know what you want to be? Do you guys dress? Are you going to dress up? Yeah, we'll dress up. I don't, I don't think we're settled on any ideas. Um, we're hoping disguises will give us some inspiration. So, um, yeah, stay tuned for that, I guess. But let's Um, jump in. Hold on. I mistakenly forgot my husband has a show on Saturday. And I feel like if I don't oh. mention it and he listens, he'll be like, you're a bad wife. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Greg. <laughs> so this weekend, uh, 
my husband who plays in wheelchair sports camp is playing a show at local 46 with wheelchair sports camp as well as our friends machete mouth and rare birds it's outside it's all ages which is super cool um, and it's early it starts at 6 30 so if anybody wants to go to a show and hang out i'm bringing my baby to a show which is like not uncommon for me but pretty exciting and it's oh. at local 46 so oh, cool Saturday and there's still night. tickets available That's oh yeah awesome. tickets are still available i think if you just google local 46 um, or wheelchair sports camps website may have a link too but very it should cool. be fun yeah i love that all right greg have fun at your show this weekend. <laughs> um, uh, so, okay, the first story we're going to talk about today. Um, this kind of rattled the Denver area journalist community last week um, when the Boulder Daily Camera issued a retraction for this big 9-11 story. It was like a front page 9-11 story they released on that day um, to just kind of go over the quick timeline. So this 9-11 story came out. I believe it was called Reflections on Finding Peace. Um, about like five days after the story came out, the camera took it down and then replaced it with just a very vague editor's note that said the camera is investigating this for its accuracy. So that has been up since like mid-September. And then fast forward to last week, like around the 1st of October, they finally come out with this lengthy retraction um, from the two top editors of the Daily Camera, basically saying that many of the quotes from sources were fabricated. Um, many of the facts in the story were completely inaccurate. And then a reporter at the Daily Camera, Mitch Byers, confirms on Twitter that the reporter who wrote this story is no longer employed at the camera. So there's a lot to talk about here. Um, I'll just open it up for whoever wants to jump in um, because, yeah, this was pretty shocking that something this fabricated could get into one of our one of our newspapers. This blew my mind. Yeah, the the big part was just looking through the sort of list of corrections <laughs> Um, or things that were false in the the story. Uh, I don't want to. I don't know the process for the Boulder Daily Cameras editing or anything. Um, but I just can't f understand how this got through. You know what I mean? Like it had to be mm -hmm. fact checked a couple times because it's a. I mean, first of all, it's a cover story on the twentieth anniversary of something. That's like those stories generally are in process for a long time. Um, so I just was very surprised by all of the – it wasn't just like one, you know, one or two or even five errors. It was like a, a lot. And like don't get me wrong. Like I, I totally am sympathizing with the daily camera. This has to be so tough for them right now to be going through this. And obviously, you know, in this profession, your editors have to, you know, trust their reporters to a certain extent to be – good trustworthy people to be good at their job and obviously there are going to just they're going to be bad eggs they're going to be people who are bad at their job um and why she did this and how it came about I don't know but then yeah it just it sucks because their credibility is going to take a ding in the sense that it's like how did this get through somebody okayed this and and I get like if they couldn't you know call on like they couldn't clock all of these quotes that were 
that were fabricated, right? But there were some things like the location of the Pentagon, the timing of the attacks, um, just certain things that like uh, simple fact you could fact check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Exactly. It was yeah, and I guess I'll just add to like um, for more context. So the the quotes. The way they figured this out was the the people that this reporter had interviewed came forward and were basically like, she really misquoted us. Like, we didn't say these things. Our stories are very different. Um, you know, she, in some instances, kind of made it seem like they were uh, closer or like more involved in the day's events than they actually were. And they were more just like spectators on the outside. But she put them really in the action again, probably to make the story more interesting, but that's not what journalism is about. That's not what you do. No, then write a fictional piece about it. If that's really what you want to do, you know, there's plenty of room for that. Um, coming from a print journalism background myself, um, so, and, and also being someone who's been interviewed before, I record all of my interviews um, so that I quote people directly. And I've been interviewed several times for various things and not been recorded. And I can tell because I go and I read the story and I'm like, I wouldn't say the gist of what I said was there, but my language wasn't there. And so I just wondered, I was like, did she not record her interviews or because if I mean obviously these people could tell by what was going you know like what was the what was in the actual content of the story but it was just like what a weird thing to um fabricate and it wasn't just like you know she edited out a few words or switched up some words like some of these quotes like the sources come forward and say this is made up like I never said that. there's a difference between edited for clarity and this is fabricated like I get I get paranoid like editing out like us and like thus like which is sketchy enough where I'm just like oh my gosh are they gonna notice that I like change this like but I I mean I do it you know for for their sake to make them sound clear it makes your it makes this point you know when you're just cleaning the the difference between cleaning something up and fabricating it and cleaning up dialogue happens a lot in reporting Mm -hmm. because we don't speak the way that we are how we write it's just you know what i mean and so that's why we as writers do that but we clean people um, up on this podcast too every time we interview someone we're taking out and most of the time people are are grateful for the way that we're making you you want them to sound good yes um but there's a you know there's such a difference i think another interesting component to this is what mitchell byers brought up in his tweet thread as a reporter was how frustrated he is for the readership and their ability to trust um, the the daily camera. He doesn't. He's he's upset too, and I would be right. too. I've been in an instance where someone that I worked with plagiarized something, and then we ran it, and it was like, and it was arts coverage of all things. But it was just like great. This is this is. Then the newspaper takes a hit. Then the other reporters take a hit. People already are in this space. There's already this conversation about trusting journalists, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I just think I feel for the other reporters there as well. Right. Well, and then the other thing I wanted to bring up from Mitch Byers' tweet thread is he talks about how um, he hopes there's more due diligence in the hiring process going forward and that maybe that could be a possible Mm. solution to prevent this from happening again in the future. Um, Because he said this reporter had a lot of red flags before this incident, which I thought was interesting. And I am wondering if they're going back now and scrubbing all of her work that she's done for the camera um, because she did a lot of reporting during COVID. And uh, maybe we should mention her name. 
April Morgan Roth. Um, and last time I checked, like her Twitter doesn't exist anymore. She took everything down. Um, and uh, Corey Hutchins, um, he's like the guy who covers all the media happenings in Colorado. He wrote in his newsletter that he did reach out to her, but she declined to comment. So, um, I mean, I guess the last question I want to throw out to you both is like, who's really to blame for this because a lot of people were going around and being like, oh, this is because, you know, a hedge fund owns the Daily Camera and they've gutted mm-hmm. it and they're like, you know, they're so they understaffed. Still have editors. But yeah, like who who do you think is really to blame here? I don't think this is a larger conversation about who owns the paper. I think that's kind of a cop out. I mean, I, I don't know. A, the reporter, it's her fault to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, she fabricated a story and presented it as truth. And then, um, I, I don't know. I feel that the editors let their readers down. I don't know what the circumstances yeah. are. I don't like I think... to point fingers at other journalists, but, um, there's a job to be done and it didn't get done. Yeah. I mean, obviously, like I said earlier, it's the first and foremost, it's the reporter's fault. She clearly is bad at her job she did something bad but the editors and i'm sure they know this already have to assume some culpability they let stuff fly they hired her did they check her work i mean and maybe this is the first time in her journalism career that she's fabricated something i mean how are are we to know but i I mean that's kind of the job of you know as a journalist um your editor is sort of your line of defense you know Mm -hmm. I trust I trust my editor. I mean, I do my best to fact check all of my work, but that's not to say that like Brie, you and Paul Right. Don't I, I count on you. But guys if there was to something incorrect something seems wrong. Yeah. Right. If there's something incorrect in the newsletter that you're writing and it goes through, then that's my bad, you know? Yeah, I mean it's it's, it's a on team me. it's a team effort <clears throat> for sure. Alexandra, what do you think? I mean, I'm going to be honest, I don't know if there really is a way to prevent these, this from happening. I mean, we've seen it over the decades with other publications and other journalists, you know, like the notable ones is Stephen Glass, Jason Blair. So, you know, I, I just think like you can vet someone in an interview or for a job and they might seem like a really solid reporter The a- April Morgan Roth and her according to her bio on the daily camera website said she had 20 years of reporting experience um and she came from the arizona republic i mean she seemed legit and so i just think that she went to journalism school i mean that's not necessarily a qualification or make you a better or worse journalist because i don't i think there's great journalists out there that didn't necessarily do the j school route but like i don't know there's a certain amount of a prestige or something i don't know it right. just it was really. wild to me she she's a journalist the, journalist yeah she had the training she knows this is wrong <laughs> i know for a fact it just comes down to you know did this person have good intentions when she came into this job and it seems like no maybe she didn't maybe she did want to um mislead readers or you know publish her own version of the truth or whatever that means but i just think i don't know if it's a larger systemic problem that you're talking about brie you know i think that yes the daily camera editors probably could have been more careful about catching this but it's hard sometimes when the only way to fact check a person's quotations like a source's quotations that are going into the story is from the reporter's notes and if they fabricate the notes then what do you do especially if you can't follow up with every single person they interviewed i mean it's just like 
the system can only the process can only go so far so i mean yeah look at stephen glass he freaking was making up he made up fake websites he made up fake phone numbers he made fake notes and when i was talking to willie my fiance about it um about the whole april morganroth thing he was like well as an editor like you have to call up all those sources and like verify their quotes right and i'm like no 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 as an editor you don't as an editor you put a certain amount of trust into the integrity of the people that you've hired um and no i I mean yes you they should though be checking things like addresses timelines especially for a 2000 word cover story Mm -hmm. on the anniversary of 9 11. i know hi yeah so all right well all right let's put this one to bed let's move on to our next topic (laughs) aspen (laughs) so a little um, place called Aspen ever heard of it uh (laughs) so Condé Nast travel magazine traveler released their um like uh 2021 reader's choice list for top 10 best cities in the U.S. and for small cities you guessed it Aspen is number one for small cities in the U.S. uh initial reactions to this this I hate that news (laughs) I hate that. Why do you hate that, Peyton? I just, okay, we have so many great little mountain towns in Colorado. And I spend a lot of time up in the mountains. And Aspen is not one of them. Aspen, it just... It's like this inference we're making about Aspen, which is like, it's a wealth stronghold. Like, it is a place where wealthy people go. It is not... And not saying that some of our mountain towns have not sort of grown into this kind of thing where they're unaffordable for most folks especially folks who work in those towns but aspen has been that that model for like an overly wealthy mountain town for a long time it's not that fun of a place (laughs) like you go have you guys been i mean not a long time no i can't remember the last time why i'm like yeah why i don't have any business in aspen (laughs) willie and i have gone there a few times um even just recently because last summer we spent uh we did a really big road trip in the mountains going to all these different mountain towns and we hit out we've hit aspen a a number of times and we've been there for weddings and, and whatever it's not a fun place because you're i when i go I feel out of place. I feel like I don't belong. I feel like if you're not walking um, a designer labradoodle (laughs) or wearing the latest, you know, Gucci purse or whatever, it's not it. I feel out of place. I Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the one brown person. There's Mm -hmm. it's it's just rich white people. You're paying forty five dollars for a burger anywhere you go. It's just it's not fun. Everyone. Everything feels so fake there. And, me, and that's just one person's opinion. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are going to disagree with me. But what makes a good mountain town is like the, the charm, in my opinion. Like Telluride is an awesome mountain town. Telluride's amazing. My favorite mountain town, which if you read my newsletters is very clear, is Estes Park. I was just going to say. That's Estes Park is amazing. Favorite. It's so fun. And it's a, it's affordable, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing, too, is like. Baton, you're talking about the sort of race and class dynamics that are on display in Aspen. And I think that's why it was so offensive to us as Coloradans in particular that this is the best, quote unquote, small town. And we all know, again, how journalism works. These best ofs, these lists, it's all just, it's not based on 
Oh, is there, well, is there some sort of criteria? It was, I mean, well, no, I mean, but it was voted on by apparently 800,000 readers. This list was. So I'm like, well, I mean, Peyton said. Who she's else like, is I'm on just... the list? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is this is something, though, because I want to know them. I want to know the the demographic makeup of these 800,000 readers. Yeah. Because other Who's cities that were. Conde Nast? Other, well, and like, it seemed to be the theme of the list for these small towns, at least, like. Jackson Hole, Wyoming was on there, which again, also, if you know anything about Jackson Hole. <laughs> it's a very it's it's similar to Aspen. Yes. Very, it's very, very wealthy. And then there's the working the actual working class of Jackson Hole. Yes. Uh yeah. And uh Santa Fe came in at number four. I don't know how mm-hmm. expensive Santa Fe is, but that, again is another one that just like you see get a lot of attention and you see like a lot of wealthy people wanting to move there. And so it's just like like, it's a requirement to be on this list that you have to be, like, completely unaffordable to live in, and then you can be best small city in U.S. <laughs> well, that's what cracks me up. So this is a Condé... So I guess Traveler magazine is now Condé Nast Traveler. I didn't know that. Condé Nast owns a... But it's, like, a giant media conglomerate. It owns The New Yorker, GQ, Vanity Fair. I mean, it's a big media public... Like, media entity. And... What cracks me up about this and that list apparently is just like this aspirational wealth angle of this whole thing, which is really mm-hmm. what's going on to me. And like, I'm like, Condé Nast, like, same people trying to get me to pay $11 a year for a Vanity Fair subscription. That's you. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Who are you actually targeted or targeting with this information? It's so. It's bizarre to me. And I think it really just struck us as Coloradans because we don't relate to aspen it's not a place we go we you know we don't have any relationship to it and we have relationships with a lot of our mountain towns they're important places for us to go it's why people move here i mean frankly and um i'm with peyton i'm i love a place like estes park i love a place like frisco um you can go for the weekend it's relatively affordable they've got stuff for families and people to do on the weekends it's just it's i I don't want to like overly quaint say these places are overly quaint but i think the main component is they're affordable accessible and um in inviting and inclusive to a certain extent go to uray uray is so nice yeah uray is gorgeous right next door to telluride it's adorable so Whatever Condé Nast, go to Estes Park, go yeah. to Uray, go or to Frisco. Don't. Or don't. You can have Aspen if you want. We'll just leave If you Condé- really want to go Condé there. Condé Nast can have Aspen and we'll keep our like Glenwood Springs and things oh, like that. That's Glenwood that's Springs. one of my favorites. Um, also, I think that we should ask our listeners, what what is your favorite mountain town in Colorado? It's okay if it's Aspen. You can call us and leave us a voicemail and say it's Aspen. I'd love to know why. We yeah. Please (laughs) make sure you leave a reason for (laughs) Bree. But if you want to call in and tell us what your favorite small mountain town is, our voicemail is 720-500-5418. And with that, let's move on to our final topic, Chowdermeister. And that's all I'm gonna say. And I'm wondering, Peyton, do you want to tell us what Chowdermeister is? Yeah, so Jake Brown, who puts on, um, I think it's called Fizz Fight. It's the, it was the country's first hard seltzer um, festival. And, you know, he's kind of in the world of food and drink festivals. And, I, you know, I'm in that world too. It's the world I came from as a food writer. And he posted this joke on Twitter. 
and asked what people thought the worst food and beverage pairing is and whatever one he would put a festival on for that and by a landslide it was chowder and jägermeister some of the other options included eggs and red wine pickles and banana decks olives and butterscotch but by a landslide chowder and jägermeister won so he decided he was going to make it a thing um, an actual chowder and jägermeister festival called Chowdermeister, and all of the funds that were being raised were going to benefit um, the Gathering Place, which is a nonprofit that supports um, women and children experiencing homelessness in the Denver metro area. Um, and it got a lot of press because it was very weird. Um, but then a few weeks later, it hit headlines that the the festival was canceled because Jägermeister which was sponsor, you know, was one of the sponsors pulled out because they were getting too much quote unquote unflattering press. So they called Jake Brown and they were like, "Yo, the press is roasting us. So we just don't feel comfortable doing this festival anymore." So they pulled it, and now the whole thing has to get canceled. And it was supposed to be like next week or something like that. Yeah, um, October sixteenth, I think. Yeah. Um, I guess the moral of the story is that Jägermeister has no sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I think not to like defend Jägermeister or anything I could really care less. Um, I think there's two things going on here. Love you, Jake. Uh, but a Twitter joke sometimes should only go so far. And it, you know what I mean? Like, I, I know that jokes are often what start things. I was in a joke band for a minute. Like, you know, but like when all this other stuff is on the line because of your joke, it's like you've got to be know you've got to know you're walking a tightrope to some extent. Um, and the two, I think to me, this just is like evidence of our glut of festivals. Like the economy in Colorado is like pretty good to the point where there's festivals like every weekend throughout the whole year. And this is to me, it was just like, oh, of course this seemed like it was going to fly <laughs> because we have the app, not the... That's a terrible, it's not the appetite, but we have the, <laughs> no one has that. the appetite for chowder and Jägermeister. But I think there was enough people that would go for this like hipster irony kind of thing to be a part, you know, to be a part of something. But I, I just, I seek how easily it could have crashed and burned. Well, okay. I, I mean, I can't believe I'm going to be defending Chowdermeister here, but actually Brie, I mean, they... they According to Jake and like the other festival organizers, they were doing this with kind of this earnest hope that like it wouldn't be a hipster irony thing. Like they're actually trying to get away from like the hipster trends of food festivals where they're kind of very inaccessible or just like just seems like, OK, you're paying seventy five dollars for some like uh, chicken tenders, you know, and they wanted this to be they even said this in a quote. They wanted this to be something they they would actually want to go to and like go to with your friends and have fun. That's according to them. And that that kind of won my heart over. I was like, oh, Chowdermeister. <laughs> OK, I, I have a few things. So I, I I agree with Alexandra in the regard that like, well, yes, I think Chowdermeister could have happened. I think people would have gone. I think people in Denver would have done it. Um, and I think that's great because it was benefiting 
a good cause. I think if you can do it, then just yeah. do it. Yeah, um, no, yeah, not to dog the I'm not dogging the festival or the organizers or anything. I feel you. I agree with you. I yeah, think there is an audience it, there for it. It could have happened for sure. Um and and I think that Jaegermeister, I mean, they Jake Brown was he was all in. He was he was devastated that that this had to get canceled. So I mean, I don't know, Jaeger said they were in and his whole thing was when they pulled, he was like didn't we all know what this was? Didn't we all know that this was going to be kind of some self-deprecating festival for a good cause? Like, and also, Jaeger, this is the first time you've got bad press. Really? I know. Is it? And like, how many festivals are calling you up, Jaeger, to be like, do you want to be like our signature drink? You've never had anyone dunk on you for being. Have you ever had Jaegermeister? It's disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) You should know who you are. Know who you are. Play in your lane. Like, if people have to plug their nose to consume your product, like. Who do you think you are? Dom Perignon? Like, no, you're Jaeger. Only frat boys are drinking you so own it (laughs) be part of this funny festival but i will say to one of Alexandra's points they did you know jake did say accessibility was a big thing and tickets were only and i say that with an asterisk 25 dollars to get in compared to most food festivals which are you know ranging around 150 to get in really yeah oh yeah and that's like ga but i'll say this they were offering vip tickets the Chowdermeister Festival was, and it sounds like in the VIP area, that was going to be the only place you could get decent food and drinks. Um, and those tickets were $250. Whoa. So, I mean. This is helpful to know. me, Peyton, because I'm used to like free neighborhood festivals. Yeah. I had no, no festivals idea people are paid that. Expensive. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to a lot of them all the time when I was a food writer, but Willie and I would talk all the time about, would we pay for this? Would I would I shell out <laughs> one seventy five to come and eat unlimited tacos and tequila? I don't know. Is my love strong enough to justify that? My love of chowder and Jägermeister is not strong enough to justify two hundred and fifty dollars. I mean, if you're paying twenty five dollars, you're getting Jäger and chowder. Yeah, that's it. But <laughs> not mixed. Not mixed together though. Not mixed together, Peyton. We should. <laughs> and also, they had like big chefs. Like Carrie yeah. Baird was, you know, on the the lineup. She was gonna cook some fancy chowder. They had like fancy cocktail mixers who were gonna like do uh, bloody marys with Jaeger. Which actually, as I'm saying, that sounds terrible. I I for one was excited to see the festival go off. Um, I I mean I think with Carrie Baird signing up, I think with um you know Jägermeister was in I was like oh this is gonna happen and it'll just be kind of one of those weird niche little Denver things um so I think it could have if Jaeger hadn't pulled and I just think I I do think it's because Jaeger I mean I don't know I just I don't like has no sense of humor yeah exactly (laughs) and again you've never had anyone dunk on you Jaeger nobody drinks you except they even (laughs) they even had a mascot ready to go chowdy duty have you guys seen a picture of Chowdy yes. Duty? Yeah, he's terrifying. Yes. He's and like he's a non, he's non-returnable. So he's no, they're, <laughs> they're stuck I think with they're, him. They're auctioning him off, which you so you could be the proud winner of Chowdy Duty. And again, the proceeds are going to the Gathering Place, I think. And but no, I mean to describe him, he's like a clam, like a like a clam. Oh, is and that what he put, is? He looks like a pillowcase. Yeah, he he's like a clam because of like clam chowder. And then um, they put antlers on top of his head. 
And that's to signify the, the Jaeger portion because their symbol is like, uh, I don't know, like antlers. He's kind of got this like real maniacal look to him too. Yes. He's like got the angry eyebrows. He looks terrifying. The, the Denver Post article I read said that they like specifically moved his eyebrows down to make him look angrier. I'm not really <laughs> sure why. Because it was all supposed to be funny. And, and I think Denver could have pulled it off. Yeah, but well, and I will say just watch watch the space. Jake Brown is always doing something interesting. This is not the last he will be doing something like this. He's an innovative, interesting dude and more power to him for getting this far with a festival that seems on paper to be pretty ridiculous, but I know I know we will see something like this. You never in the know. Maybe eggs and red wine will happen next summer. Yeah, and I for one will not go. <laughs> And that's all for today here on CityCast Denver. Our producers this week were Paul Caroli and me, Xandra McMahon. Peyton Garcia writes our morning newsletter. Our host is Bree Davies. And our music is by Los Mochachetes with additional mixing by Tyler Lindgren, plus more from the Epidemic Sound Library. If you haven't already, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at CityCast Denver and tell a friend about us the next time you see them. You can sign up for our daily newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We won't be back on Monday, but don't worry. We'll be back in your feeds on Tuesday. Until then, have a great weekend, CityCast listeners. Thank God the majority of us are not morning people or I would be screwed because everybody would be like, Paul, be like, well, I've been up since four, so let's get cracking. <laughs>